You're trapped. The blood in your veins runs cold from fear, but it's hot outside. The blindfold over your eyes is damp from the sweat dripping from your forehead. It's dark and quiet. The only sound you can hear is the blood pounding in your ears and your own ragged breaths. The silence leaves you alone with nothing to distract you from your racing thoughts. Has it been a minute? An hour? Will I ever be let out? Fed? Given water? Will I survive? I'm Marina. With me, I have my best friend, Laura, and this is Grim. Is this a recording from what your child thinks when you put her to bed? (laughs) Yes. She's like, I can't hear people talking. Will they ever come back? Will they feed me? me? Will they give me water? Can I go to the bathroom? Yep. yep, Always. 14 times. Always. We're back, bitches. Hello. It's Laura. It's me. We are back to our regularly scheduled program with that's it we're here with like nothing ever happened hell of a case (laughs) oh boy it's a hell of a case i'm excited um it's also going to be multiple parts for sure because i read a 400 page book and (laughs) couldn't help but include all of the details all of them Mm -hmm. yeah i couldn't Mm -hmm. leave any of them out Mm -hmm. but i like when you don't leave them out i know because it's like when you do read a really good book i like longer books because i get so into it that once I get to the end of it, I'm very upset. So I'd rather it be longer. And it's really funny because I hear people do shorter versions of cases and I'm like, wow, that gave like a really great view <laughs> of the case. But then I read these books and I'm like, I can't leave out anything. Like they yep. need to know she shaved her leg on day 10. Like, exactly. You know, give it away. Why don't you? <laughs> that actually Jeez. is completely unrelated <laughs> to the case, but just something that popped up in my head. I get it. Uh, so for part one of this case, I relied exclusively on the book, The Perfect Victim by Christine McGuire and Carla Norton. Just a heads up, this case is bad, like almost toy box killer bad at times. Oh dear. So if oh, you're no. triggered by kidnapping, sexual assault, torture, or claustrophobia, I'd sit this one out if I were you. Mm-hmm. This is not, this, this case is not for you. Okay. So I'll see you next week. Yeah. No, you're here, but everybody else has been warned. Yes. Um, before we all head off on an incredibly disturbing journey, first we have new Patreon shout outs. Yay. Oh, I missed this. Yay. I missed it. First up, we have Kayla K. Kayla K. Kayla K. We love you. Next up, we have Emmy V. Emmy. Is it I-M-M? I-M-M-Y. Emmy. Emmy V. Woo. Love it. It's different. We try really, really, really hard to pronounce everything correctly. That's why I was asking. We really do. And asterisk. I tried so hard last week or how last month. I don't even know. Whatever. <laughs> last day. Time. I, last time. Yeah. The last time I tried, but I got it wrong. Miche, thank you Miche. for reaching out Woo. and telling me what the correct pronunciation was. And I did try really hard you did. and I still failed. But you can say asterisk 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 you can say that and asterisk you can't. yeah mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so thank you misha yes um britney l britney we love you danielle danielle, danielle. Danielle, we love you we thank love you, you so much we have melissa m melissa, melissa m. we love, we love you. you thank you thank you thank you Yay. we have 
Pate Lee Gremlin number one. We love Woo! you. <laughs> we got so happy when your thing came through. We were like, that, that is the coolest name. And that is quite we the username. You. We love, love it. it. We love you, Pate Lee Gremlin number one. Yes. And Jasmine K. Jasmine K. Woo! Woo! We love, we love you. you, Jasmine. Your name is awesome, too. And oh. we want to be part of your world. <laughs> oh. Isn't isn't that Aladdin? No, isn't that a Little Mermaid? Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, a wait, whole wait, wait, new wait. world. That's what is I was Jasmine. thinking. Yes. Okay. okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Nobody's was... part of that world yet. It's a new one. Okay. <laughs> okay. I was thinking a whole new world, and I was like, Princess Jasmine so, is obviously Aladdin. I don't know all your movie bullshit, but I do know Disney. Okay. I got that one covered. And I just saw something the other day that's like when Aladdin said, I'm going to show you a whole new world. He really just meant we're going to fly around the city we both live in. <laughs> Facts. Anyways, well, Jasmine, we're going to show you a whole new world and we're going to be part of it. <laughs> okay, so let's do this. That's the last time you're going to laugh. <laughs> yeah. So we are talking about the kidnapping of Colleen Jean Stan, who is also known as the girl in the box. Oh, 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 no. Oh, I no. know just enough to dread all of it. Mm. Oh, no. Mm -hmm. So let's start out by talking about Colleen. Colleen Jean Martin was born on New Year's Eve in 1956, the first daughter of Jack and Evelyn Martin. Colleen's two sisters, Janice and Bonnie Sue, followed. Colleen grew up in Riverside, California, and had an unremarkable childhood. Her parents divorced when she was just three years old, but there was little disruption to her life, and she maintained a close relationship with both parents. Both Jack and Evelyn remarried, and Colleen ended up with two half-sisters and a half-brother to round out the family. Colleen was described as creative. She had a talent for poetry, and she wrote and designed cards for loved ones, which I think is so sweet. Mm -hmm. She was only average in school and had no intentions of going to college, which she felt just wasn't in the cards for her, which nowadays I wish more people would realize that Mm -hmm. instead of like riddling themselves in debt and then being like, I should have gone into HVAC. Yes, exactly. Yeah. In 1972, at just 16 years old, she dropped out of school and married 22-year-old Tom Stan, who she had met months earlier. And surprisingly, she had her father's blessing. He was totally okay with it. 16, you said? She was 16. He was 22. Hmm. Yep. Colleen and Tom moved to his home state of Ohio. But within a year, the marriage was over and Colleen moved back to Riverside. Wow. I guess that's what happens sometimes when you get married at 16. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah, married, divorced before you're legally able to vote. Does it even count? Like, if you get married at 16 and you're married for less than a year, like, would you even be like, I've been married before? I don't know. It's like the same as an arrest, right? (laughs) It gets expunged. I don't know. Hey, Laura, have you ever been arrested? Not legally. (laughs) That makes no sense. You get it. I know what you meant. I mean, that's true. I've never legally or illegally been arrested, so... (laughs) Colleen went back to school and got her GED, but she was restless and she was jumping from job to job. It was at this time that she met a couple named Bob and Alice and their two-year-old son, Tomac. Colleen basically adopted herself into this family and she moved with them to Eugene, Oregon, where Bob and Alice were from. In Oregon, jobs were hard to come by and Colleen could barely make ends meet. She did make money collecting and selling moss. Which I didn't know that was a thing that one could make money doing. Perhaps in the Pacific Northwest. Yes. (laughs) But like what for what? Like crafts? Like for aquariums? Terrariums? Pollination. Oh yeah. No, I bet that's what it is. Like for pet stores? Mm Mm-hmm. I bet that's what it is. Garden places? I thought maybe people just wanted to grow different kinds of moss. Maybe. Maybe there's a market for that. But can't they just go out and scrape it off a rock themselves? I mean, there's different kinds. 
question mark. Okay. Mm -hmm. Okay. These will be fun emails to get. To be continued. (laughs) They're like, there is 743 (laughs) varieties of moss, and I don't know how you don't know that. (laughs) That comes in part two. (laughs) You learn something new every day. Mm -hmm. I will provide a moss update in part two. (laughs) Overall, Colleen's life in Oregon was unremarkable until the fateful day she decided to take a trip. Colleen's friend Linda lived in Westwood, a small town in Northern California, and Colleen decided she was going to visit Linda for her birthday. It was the late 1970s, so what better way to travel than hitchhiking? I knew it. Mm-hmm. Yep. Mm-hmm. On Thursday, May 19th, 1977, around 11 a.m., Colleen was dropped off on the freeway near Eugene, Oregon by Alice and Bob. Colleen said goodbye and told Alice she would be back in two days on Saturday. Colleen made good time, and after two, just two rides, she made it to Red Bluff, California, around 4 p.m., which is about an hour and a half drive from her Westwood destination. Colleen looked for her next ride. A carload of guys pulled up and offered her a ride, but she turned them down as she felt it was too risky. Mm-hmm. Another couple stopped, but they were only going a short distance, so she turned them down, too. Oh. Then a blue Dodge Colt pulled over. No too many details. <laughs> there was a young couple inside. Cameron and Janice Hooker, and Janice was holding her young baby. The Hookers were headed in the right direction, and Colleen felt they looked trustworthy. So Colleen threw her sleeping bag and backpack in the back seat and climbed in. She didn't pay much attention to a wooden box that was on the seat beside her. Oh my God. I'm going to pause here to give you a little more background on the Hookers. Cameron, especially. Cameron Hooker was born on November 5th, 1953, to Harold and Lorena Hooker who had moved to California from Arkansas looking for a better life. The hookers moved every two to three years, struggling to make ends meet while Harold looked for work at sawmills or construction sites, Lorena staying home to care for Cameron and his younger brother, Dexter. The boys were well cared for, but the constant moves uprooted any sense of normalcy, forcing them to say goodbye to friends they had just Mm, made. Oh, that's hard. I feel like that would be hard for even like the most well-adjusted child. Yeah. Cameron was described as generally quiet and a happy kid in grammar school. In 1969, his family bought some property in Red Bluff and parked their mobile home at a permanent address. By that time, Cameron had reached his teen years. He was tall and gangly with thick horn-rimmed glasses, and he was outcast by the cool kids. Of course. Which weren't we all? Can't wear glasses and be cool. No, no. Nowadays, you can. Yeah. Now the kids I are mean, wearing, I'm wearing them right now. <laughs> now are, are kids nowadays wearing yeah. like lensless glasses? I- are they? I don't know. Probably. Yeah. The blue light glasses. I don't know. I don't know. Well, you they need have that mustaches so now, too. <laughs> the cool kids? <laughs> all of them. Yeah. They all have mustaches. <laughs> Anyways, he wasn't on any teams or involved in any organizations, but he did excel at shop classes where he learned about tools, machines, and construction. In 1972, after graduating high school, Cameron got a job at the local lumber mill. His job gave him time for his dark mind to roam and fantasize. Yeah, you kind of like rolled right through his hobbies and what he learned. And the, and I don't appreciate that. Well, he was developing, you know, while he was working on his yeah. construction skills, yeah. he was developing a deep uh, desire and love for bondage and dominating women. Oh, okay. Porn fueled his desires and oh. he was drawn to whips, handcuffs, leather, and chains, mm-hmm. which to each to each their own. Of course. No judgment on just the liking of it. Sure. You do you. These were all just fantasies inside Cameron's mind until he was introduced to 15-year-old Janice. <gasps> Cameron was around 20 at the time. Cameron and Janice began dating and they did things that an average couple would do at first, going for burgers and fries and going to see movies. 
Janice loved the attention from Cameron as she was very shy and insecure, which is probably a bad personality trait Mm -hmm. to have if you're dating an older domineering man. Mm -hmm. A few months into their relationship, Cameron asked Janice if he could strap her up naked to a tree in the woods. He waited the acceptable amount of time. A few months, yeah. Yeah. Wanting to make Cameron happy, Janice agreed. Uh, And although the leather straps he used to hang her up hurt her wrists, she said he was so affectionate to her after the fact that she didn't say no when he asked her to do it again. Oh, dear. I, I, you know, I never, ever want video on our podcast because for I just don't. However, you would see the permanent cringe I have on my face Mm. as Marina is telling me all of it's not even I was gonna say not even the worst details. This is like the consensual piece of it. That's why I'm cringing already. Mm -hmm. This became a pattern and Cameron and Janice went into the woods two to three times a month to engage in these escapades. I don't know why it had to be in the woods. I don't know. Maybe just like out of sight. I guess. Anyway. Janice was tied to trees, staked to the ground, or just plain tied up. Maybe that's why. Mm. Cameron introduced whips and would hit Janice hard enough to leave welts, but not permanent marks. Um, He would even tie Janice up, and he would dunk her in the creek. On one occasion, she almost drowned, (gasps) and although she was scared, she was not scared enough to walk away from Cameron, who she'd already been dating for a year and a half at that time. Janice put up with Cameron's desires for his attention, and she felt as though she could endure it because when she said stop, he would. Mm. Janice was in love and wanted Cameron to commit, so at 16 years old, she lied and told him she was pregnant. Mm. Cameron agreed to marry her, and Janice's parents were thrilled, giving them $500 for a wedding present. (laughs) Oh my gosh. The two were married on January 18th, 1975. Oh, for a second, I thought today was January 18th, but it's not. It's It's close. It's the 21st. Okay. Happy belated anniversary. (laughs) although the marriage was founded on deceit cameron and janice were in love unfortunately cameron's tendencies were getting more violent and janice took the brunt of it sometimes cameron choked janice until she passed out and not long into their marriage when janice and cameron had a fight he got so mad he put a knife to her throat and asked her if Mm. she wanted to die Another time, Cameron showed Janice a scene in one of his underground newspapers. It was of a horrific crucifixion and told her that if he ever killed her, that's how he would do it. Oh, oh. Cameron began to get more creative with his BDSM props as well. He took a gas mask and taped over the eyes and air holes. (gasps) He showed it to Janice, who was like, no, thank you. And Cameron gagged her to keep her from screaming and shoved it over her head. (gasps) How how did she not die then. i do not know oh my god i guess air would still come in just like not a ton yeah oh but i mean he would choke her till she passed out true, too true. so i don't oh think he god. really cared if she was conscious that's fair true it was around this time that cameron began discussing a lifelong fantasy oh no he wanted to bring someone into their home to be his sex slave he said he wanted quote a girl who couldn't say no oh Cameron discussed his fantasy with Janice and told her that if she'd allow the sex slave, that slave would be the brunt of his more demanding practices, which had to be incredibly enticing to Janice. I was just going to say, if like, you put yourself in Janice's shoes or gas mask, as it were, then you... <laughs> it's fucked up. <laughs> it's, it's the only way I make it through I know, these. I know. Uh, but then you... Yeah, I can see that being like, yeah, do it to someone else, please. Yes, yeah, because she loves him yeah. and, you know, but yeah. she doesn't want to leave. Mm-hmm. So she thought it over... And Janice reluctantly agreed under two conditions. One, there would be no sexual intercourse between Cameron and the other woman. That was a sacred act for man and wife. Okay. And number two, Cameron had to give Janice a baby. And with that, the deal was made. So Cameron began preparations. 
He built a wide platform with hooks for cuffs that he called the rack. He installed hooks in a beam in the ceiling in his basement for hanging. And he built what was called a head box. (laughs) The head box was about the size of a hat box, but weighed nearly 20 pounds. um, What's the reason for referring to the hat box as the um, unit of measure? I don't know. It was Because I don't have very many hat boxes. (laughs) Well, probably because we're talking about like back in the 70s. true. I also suppose you can imagine a hat and therefore the box that would fit the hat. Yeah. The only thing is, is like I have... I have old hat boxes from my grandma and they're much smaller than this monstrosity of a thing. So, you know, like, what is it? What's the ratio of hat box to bread box, for example? (laughs) This is, these are deep questions. I just, I need to, I don't have the answer. I just think the longer I interject with unrelated funny things, the the longer I have before you tell me worse details. We're coming back. Mm. We're coming back. So this 20 pound head box was made of a double wall of plywood with dense insulation in between the two layers. I actually just got chills. Mm, This is like saw shit. It was hinged with metal and there was carpet on the inside of the box. And then there was a circular hole in the bottom to accommodate someone's neck. And the wearer of the box would be blind with their screams muffled by the carpet and insulation. Oh my God. Oh. Mm. Dramatic page turn. Cameron was ready and he held up his end of the bargain. Janice got pregnant for real this time and had a baby girl in the fall of 1976. Now it was Cameron's turn to get his end of the deal. On May 19th, 1977, Cameron, Janice, and the baby got into their blue Dodge Colt and went hunting. It was then that they came across hitchhiking Colleen Stan, who again felt comfortable getting into the car with this family with a new baby. Absolutely. Even I, now I'm obviously not hitchhiking anytime soon, but even I would think probably fine. You would pick the family with the baby over a car full of men. Of course. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, you know, it's crazy. As they were driving, Colleen was looking out at the gorgeous scenery, but Colleen couldn't help notice that Cameron kept looking back at her in the rearview mirror, and it was making her a little nervous. Mm. Cameron stopped the car at a local gas station to fill up, and Colleen got out of the car and went to the bathroom to change her shirt. She said a small voice in the back of her head was telling her to run and get away from this situation, but she couldn't figure out why. Colleen shook it off and got back in the car. No. And while they had stopped, Janice had bought some candy bars and she shared them with Colleen as the two chatted and waited for Cameron. Super casual. Yeah. Once they were back on the road, Cameron asked if Colleen would mind if they took a short detour to check out some ice caves. Colleen didn't mind, but it wasn't like she had a choice anyway, since she was hitchhiking. Uh, They pulled down off a dirt road and went about a mile before stopping. Mm -mm. At that point, Janice stepped out of the car with the baby and walked over to a nearby stream. Cameron then got out, went to the passenger side, pulled the seat forward, jumped into the car and put a knife to Colleen's throat, told her to put her hands up. After a stunned moment, Colleen complied and then Cameron handcuffed her hands behind her back and tied a cloth tightly around Colleen's eyes. A leather strap was wrapped under her chin and tightened until she couldn't open her jaw. Cameron then tied her feet together and then came the box, the wooden box that had been on the seat next to Colleen, Cameron's sick invention. Cameron forced Colleen to lie down and he maneuvered her neck into the opening before closing the box with a snap. The box shut out all light and sound and pinched Colleen's thick hair against her neck. 
the carpeted interior was pressed against her face and she was breathing in panicked gasps. Cameron then covered Colleen with her own sleeping bag in the back seat. And then Janice got back in the car with the baby and the little family drove away. Colleen couldn't do anything but lay there helpless. The box and the sleeping bag were stifling and she was hot and panicked. It felt like an eternity before the car stopped and Cameron took the box off Colleen's head. He let her sit up and she started to cool down but didn't move. She was still completely blindfolded Mm -hmm. and tied up. The hookers ate a fast food meal in the front seat with Colleen in the back seat. And when they finished, they put the box back on her head and the sleeping bag went back on. It was after dark when the hookers pulled into the alley behind their house at 1140 Oak Street. Cameron untied Colleen's feet and removed the head box so that she could walk inside the house, but she was still blindfolded, gagged, and handcuffed. Colleen was guided into the house and down into the basement. Once downstairs, Colleen was forced to stand on a Coleman cooler while she was subsequently handcuffed to a pipe above her head. She was then stripped of her shirt and jeans, and her handcuffs were replaced with thick leather straps that were fastened wide so that her arms were spread out above her head. That alone stresses me out. Like, Yes, all all of this. I have to also compliment, I think, your writing because I am there. I am in. I literally had to just remind myself to speak and participate in this podcast, but Mm -hmm. I'm there. It's up. It's bad. That's why I couldn't leave out any details. No, I'm glad you have. Well, semi glad you have. Well, I know. I know. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Cameron then kicked the cooler out from under Colleen's feet, causing her to fall. And Colleen immediately felt the burning pain in her wrists and shoulders as her full weight pulled against the handcuffs. She struggled and kicked her legs, trying to find ground with her feet. Cameron whipped her and told her to stop. So Colleen hung still crying, still blindfolded. The only thing is Colleen could see a sliver of the scene around her from beneath her blindfold, like how kids can Mm -hmm. see and cheat at Pin the Tail on the Donkey. Mm -hmm. Through that sliver, she noticed a pornographic magazine flipped open to a page displaying a woman in a similar position to how she was currently being held. Cameron was just living out his fantasies. Mm. After what must have felt like a lifetime, Cameron placed something back under Colleen's feet that allowed her to stand on her tiptoes to alleviate the weight from her arms. Cameron left her and walked upstairs and then returned with Janice. Oh, no. Janice and Cameron then proceeded to have sex on a low wooden structure in front of where Colleen was hung up. When they finished, Janice went back upstairs and Cameron turned his attention back to Colleen. Testing her, Cameron kicked Colleen's support out from under her again. To avoid another whipping, Colleen just hung still. I'm still blown away that her shoulders didn't just pop out of their oh, I sockets. Know. Like, I, I know. can't even imagine any of this and here i am i now i see why you would tell me that that you told me that i would be thinking about my rib as i um i pulled a muscle from coughing Mm -hmm. (laughs) um hashtag in your 30s um (laughs) but now i'm just thinking how much that hurts Mm -hmm. (laughs) that's just a little baby muscle and um, yeah i can't i can't imagine the pain that you would feel in your shoulders and your arms like that yeah i I, I would not do well is my point on that if this is bothering me so much. I know. And I she mean, had the wherewithal to just stop. There's also a reason this is called the perfect victim. Oh, I mean, it's yeah. just how Colleen was. Oh. But for her, you know, after one time where she flailed, mm-hmm. he whipped her. So mm-hmm. he does it again and she doesn't flail. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't he, think I could do that mentally. I, I don't think I could stop my body from reacting. No, yeah. No. Ugh. Nope. 
So when Colleen didn't flail the second time, Cameron returned the cooler and took her down, leading her to another box that was roughly square and three feet high. Colleen was placed in this box and her hands were secured with chains to the roof of the box. The head box was then snapped into place on top of this other box. Colleen felt like she was suffocating between the position that she was in and the head box, and she panicked. She began kicking her feet as hard as she could against the sides of the box. Cameron grabbed her feet, tied them with rope, and secured them to the side of the box before he left and walked away. My jaw is hanging open. There was a little slack in the rope binding her feet, so Colleen continued to kick the side of the box as best as she could and also screamed into the head box, even though she wasn't sure if anyone could hear her. Colleen carried on, hoping someone would hear, and her struggling brought Cameron back downstairs. He removed the head box and asked, why are you making so much noise? Colleen told him that she couldn't breathe and begged him to let her out. Ignoring her pleas, he put the head box back on, left, and returned with straps that he secured around her ribs and chest, constricting her breathing even further. What? Cameron also put an electrical device between Colleen's naked legs that was designed to shock her, but thankfully it failed to work. Oh, God. I'm not kidding. When I read this, I was in bed and I was... Yeah. Like, I, yeah. I was literally taking deep breaths. I had a bad case of bronchitis once and I was like, somebody just take me out. I can't. Like, right. that feeling that you can't breathe or get in enough oxygen is Ooh. so anxiety-inducing. That's like the... um. I There's some some masks you can make if you're making a mask of your face and you have to like breathe through a straw. Oh yeah. And anytime, I don't know what shows I'm watching that they're doing this. It's in, like death masks, right? I don't know. I don't know what okay. I'm watching, but I, the thought of having to breathe through a straw is just, that's what this is making me think of. Mm. I don't like it. And so that the box that the square box that her body is in, well, the bottom half of her body is it, it, did she have like her i'm like doing it in in real life did she have like her knees up it was she kind of crouched do you think or uh, like sitting with her knees up it's not clear to me and i don't think there's pictures of this one because i don't think it, it ended up evolving but i picture it so it was only three feet high right. i think there probably was like a hole where her head came through right the head box sat on top yeah and i don't know three feet she probably was crouched with her like, like sitting, legs together maybe. almost yeah. like yeah. tucked underneath her because if she was kicking the sides of the box see with I her thought, feet oh yeah because i was thinking she was sitting with like you know how you'd sit with your knees up and your arms could be wrapped around your legs well her arms were tied to the top well, yeah. of the box i said could be if you weren't perhaps in a death box yes and then yeah so i think i think probably her feet were either to the yeah. side or like maybe tucked up but enough that yeah. she can move them i'm not sure why i'm encouraging myself to have be- better deeper pictures thoughts of this, about but I am. this situation yeah, yeah. This this nightmare. This situation did not last too long, but I cannot. I need the second the, of it. The belts around the ribs. I like. Yeah. I can't. It makes me take a really deep. My breath. bra is too tight. I get upset. I know. You know? I know. Shirts. I'm like this yeah. is constricting me. I can't yeah. breathe properly. Oh yeah. If you've ever put like a a, a non giving shirt or sweatshirt or like blazer on and you can't get it off. You're like oof, I hate this. Yeah. I know. Oof. You just yeah. panic with it over your head. Yep. My toddler does that in the morning when I can't <laughs> I get, get it. it. Yeah. Get a shirt on. Yep. That's why I put the shirt over the head and then pull really hard so their head just pops through. Yeah. You don't want to. I think he took the same approach with yeah, the head box. You don't want a breathing situation to go on. It's <laughs> no. horrifying. No. So 
the next morning, Cameron came downstairs and he took Colleen out of the box, which must have been a relief, if only for a moment. Yeah. He walked her across the basement and laid her down on the rack that he had built in preparation for her arrival. Out of the frying pan into the fire. Yep. He locked her wrist chains to the hooks at the rack's top corners and tied her ankles to the hooks at the bottom. Cameron then left her there all day, spread out and unable to move. That night, Cameron took Colleen off the rack so that she could eat dinner, the first food or water she had been given since she was kidnapped the day before. She had potatoes au gratin, which seems very fancy mm. for like a, a kidnapped meal, yeah. and a glass of water. Okay. She was allowed to use a bedpan before being hung up again by the cuffs for a while, then placed back in the cage. Oof. Oof. Colleen spent the second day spread out on the rack like she had the first. That night, she was again removed so that she could eat dinner. She was brought two large egg sandwiches and a glass of water. Colleen only finished half of a sandwich and the water and told Cameron she was full. He was furious, so he strung her up and beat her until she passed out. What? When she woke up, he beat her some more before he took her down and forced her to eat the remaining food before once again being returned to the box. Why? Why was he so mad? He was mad that she was wasting food. Oh, mm-hmm. gosh. And this was her new routine. Oh, no. Although Colleen didn't know this, no one was looking for her. Colleen wasn't reported missing until Wednesday, May 25th, almost a week after she was taken by Cameron. Her roommate had been worried when she didn't arrive back in Eugene on Saturday, May 21st, like she said she would, Mm -hmm. but figured maybe she was just late. By that Monday, Alice, again, the roommate, called Colleen's mom about her absence, a call which left them both worried. Mm-hmm. No one had cell phones, so it makes it a little trickier yep. to check in with people. Yep. And this, we talked about this before. Where, yeah. Like, it's not that, it, at the time, it wasn't that big a deal. It was like two or three days right. you were going, you know? And if you're hitchhiking, like, yeah. maybe you just couldn't get a ride. Right, exactly. Alice knew Colleen was going to see Linda in Westwood, so she called the Westwood police, who checked in with Linda. It was like old school text mm-hmm. messaging. Linda reported she hadn't seen Colleen. And by Wednesday, Wednesday, Colleen was reported missing to the Eugene police. Wednesday? By Wednesday. Wednesday. Yeah. Um, A missing persons report was filled out and a bulletin with Colleen's description was broadcasted. It received received no response and that was it. Oh my gosh. Colleen had simply vanished and no one had any reason to believe that she'd been kidnapped and was currently being tortured. Yeah. Yeah. And like, where would you even begin? How could you even begin to look for her? Right. Yeah. So it's like, they don't even know if she, this is one of those situations where they felt like she just walked away. Yep. Yep. So... Meanwhile, Colleen endured long periods of time, gagged, blindfolded, naked, and with her head in the box. She continued to spend her days on the rack, but was given a brief break at night when she was fed leftovers, given some water, and allowed to use the bedpan. One meal a day, one break a day. She was then hung and whipped before being chained up again for the night. Rinse and repeat until Cameron built something new. Oh, no, no. Using plywood he took from work, Cameron built a box that was about three feet high and six and a half feet long, and it had a smaller box inside. He put Colleen's sleeping bag inside on the bottom before putting her in naked and blindfolded. Cameron then put a long chain around Colleen's neck, locked her wrist chains to it before pulling it down and securing her ankles. Lastly, he put wax earplugs in her ears. Colleen's like that. That's such a attention to detail yes the sensory deprivation is a lot colleen's hearing was muffled but that didn't stop her from hearing the coffin box lid close and the padlock slid into place 
this is, I don't like this. I can't do, I can't do multiple parts of this. I told you it was toy. It was like, it's toy box. It's worse. Bad. I think it's, it's really worse bad. Because I spared the details. I'm so sorry. Thank you. Didn't make multiple parts about it. So sorry. I did read the book though. So I know. there's that. I know. But I, I'm not, I'm sparing you the specifics. Yeah, you're giving me just enough assault. to put my brain there. So, so thanks. sorry. Thanks well, for that. Mm-hmm. Colleen was kept in this box going forward, which I can't really say whether it would be better or worse than the last setup. Right. At this point, Colleen hadn't showered, bathed, or brushed her teeth in five weeks. Oh, oh. She was only given small amounts of food and water, deprived enough that she stopped getting her period. Jeez. Colleen could only tell the passage of time within the box based upon the temperature. It was cooler in the morning. She was hottest midday. And then the box would begin to cool off near dinner time. Oh, my God. The box was cooler when she was entombed after her night activities, especially since it could air out while she was out for the night. There was an old hairdryer on a no heat setting attached to air holes in the box to keep air flowing, but it did nothing to cool the box off. And not only that, Colleen had to listen to the sound of the hairdryer blowing at all times. That would be okay with me because I sleep with white noise. (laughs) But, but a hundred percent of the time. I'm kidding, obviously. And also, how do you, how does, what do you do with your mind in this? You know, I don't mean how do you pass the time, but like what, how do you escape your mind? I, this I is think you might crazy. like just black out. Like, I think I, you have to. I think your subconscious would do something to so. try to help I you so. survive. I would not survive no, I, this situation. No. I would not. Colleen is a bad yeah. ass bitch. Wow. Insane. Wow. Cameron was learning about keeping a slave on the fly, and he didn't always get it right. He realized Colleen's weight was plummeting from depriving her, so he began tracking it and making her get on a scale. <laughs> He was careful not to hang Colleen too long from her wrists since he knew that the cuffs cut off circulation and he didn't want to deal with gangrene infections or have Colleen die. Sure. Three months into his venture, he also realized he had to give Colleen a bath, but he took it as an opportunity to just inflict more harm. I'm disgusted that it took him that long to be bothered to to have that occur to him. I know. I can't. Um, I nope. I just can't. It's nope. unfathomable. Yeah, That's this the is word. another. Good, this is yeah, another word is. of the episode. Yeah. Unfathomable. Yeah, you only get two this whole podcast. Okay, no more. No more. Well, my I parts. Want fathomable. My parts. Right. Well, let I me just, finish. Let me finish all the unfathomable parts, and then I want fathomable okay, cases. I'll see what I can do. Thank you. So after uh, Cameron and Janice's baby had been put to bed, Cameron brought Colleen upstairs, and he taped her hands behind her back taped the blindfold and her mouth, and then tied her legs to a broomstick before putting her face down in the water. (gasps) Colleen was helpless and couldn't pull her knees up to get her face out of the water because of the broomstick, so she was drowning. When the bubbles stopped, Cameron pulled her up, and he repeated this at least 24 times, taking pictures the entire time. Uh, My, I, I, I'm trying I know I, it's, I know it's, there's nothing. These to are say. all of there's my worst fears. Add an industrial fan and I'm just going to have an aneurysm. If there was an industrial fan in this room, I would jump into it. That's true. You know what? That actually sounds a lot better. That's true. At the Good first point. opportunity. Good point. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, once Cameron was done with his activities, Janice was brought in to tend to Colleen's matted, knotted hair. Conditioner was useless. Yeah. And 
Janice ended up cutting off about five inches, Mm -hmm. and then Colleen was returned to her box. Short of breaking his promise of fidelity to Janice, Cameron came up with sadistic ways to torture Colleen. He electrocuted her with live wires, burned her with a heat lamp, strangled her, and made her perform fellatio. The savageness of Cameron's behavior towards Colleen became a little bit too much for Janice, and she left in the late summer. Like, like left for good? She left the house, yes. She spent weeks at her sister's house and spent her weekends with Cameron. Oh, okay. So okay, no, so not just good. like, but okay. she left the house for the week. Right. Mm-hmm. Just a lower percentage of the time. Yeah. Okay. Yep. Knowing that what was going on underneath her feet. Okay. She never said a word about what was going on at home and she was too afraid to leave Cameron. She was only gone a few months and she returned home for good to avoid the long commute because it was very inconvenient. You know, that really, I, I don't know what was going through Janice's mind at all, but I get really mad at the fact that she didn't say anything because you don't have some serial killer out there that's like gonna um hunt you down and kill you like he's torturing one person right right. and you could very easily go to the police and you don't have to prove anything right all you have to do is say go to the house yeah here's what's happening Mm -hmm. you're not like risking them not believing you you know correct i it just that makes me very angry because she had the opportunity right Mm -hmm. but she loved him only and they had a baby together at that child i know child i know i think potentially i'm not making excuses for janice potentially there could have been some sort of brainwashing that had you think gone on um between cameron and she was young and yeah i guess she was like indoctrinated into this life that's true from such an early age but wonder i don't think he did it intentionally but he essentially did brainwash her and like little by little it got her to think like oh this is normal right like, and they made a crazy. deal for this you know like yeah. to us it sounds crazy but like for her she's like oh it's only this much further mm-hmm. from what we were doing so it's not that bad whereas we're like that's fucking nuts i know yeah i know oh god cameron was careful to keep his darkness in the basement he never let on to his obsessions to anyone in his life, including friends and family. Oh, because he was still working and mm-hmm. all that, right? Oh, yeah. He was just living. They were just going on living their life with Colleen in the basement. He squirreled away his dark pornography, and he learned to develop all of his own photos of Janice and Colleen, because I don't think the, lo- the local Photoshop would appreciate that. No, no. Yeah. Cameron wanted a sex slave, but now that he had kept her so long, he also wanted to put Colleen to work. He developed two head boxes, but the one he wanted her to wear to perform her tasks was much heavier and cumbersome. He designed a rigging system on the ceiling and counterbalanced the weight of the head box with a large water jug so that Colleen could walk with this thing on her head. Oh my God. I can't believe it was that heavy. I guess that makes sense. It's out of like wood and and insulated. Yes. Yes. The ingenuity involved is like so fucked up. I just he's like i learned this new thing at work let me go try it at home insane insane application colleen's job completely blind to the task was to sand a redwood slab by feel it took her days to complete but she got the job done cameron the creative psychopath that he was started on a new project probably with the wood that uh colleen was sanding he built a triangular box to fit beneath the staircase in the basement it had a door a ceiling a light a concrete floor and carpeted walls for soundproofing. Sure. Of course. Naturally. He was probably a loyal customer at the local carpet store. <laughs> it was called the workshop and oh. there was even a chair inside. Cameron put Colleen inside the workshop blindfolded. 
He left a sack of walnuts at her feet and told her she could remove the blindfold and shell the nuts. This was the first time she was permitted to remove the blindfold in six months. For six months, she had this blindfold blindfold around her head. I, I am. I it's can't, unfathomable. It, it is because she wasn't. Obviously, she wasn't bathing, and when she was, she still had the blindfold on mm-hmm. and was going through that torture. Mm-hmm. It literally never came off. No. Not like oh, it was on most of the day. I mean, it. Wow. Mm-hmm. Insane. Colleen was just happy to have unobscured vision. Sure. She got to actually use her eyes. She worked through the night shelling the walnuts, as she had been told. Come morning, Cameron went to the workshop, told her to put her blindfold on, and then chained her back up in the box. The workshop changed her routine. She was now to stay up at night working on a project for Jan or Cameron, often crochet or macrame. The hookers sold Colleen's projects at a flea market to bring in extra cash for the family. Can you imagine buying like crocheted oh, socks and then come to find out they were crocheted by a kidnapped sex slave kept in a workshop in i mean when i see all the fast fashion with crochet stuff that's actually exactly what i think oh yeah you know because crochet you can't do on a machine no so fun fact i wonder if she crocheted before that would be so sad because it's so fun to crochet and then it would now be, be forever fun. associated with the workshop not fun but i hope i mean i i feel like we've talked about this in other cases like this having something to do like past the yeah, time yeah is m- mitigates a little bit of the the torture that had to be better i would rather be crocheting than in the even coffin. for labor yeah than yeah. in the, the coffin oh yeah box. without a doubt yeah mm-hmm. the holiday season came and colleen missed christmas with her family a week later she turned 21 in the box Cameron did get her a long blue terry cloth nightgown to wear in the workshop as Colleen had been getting cold now that winter had set in. Cameron had an affinity for BDSM magazines and publications, and they included photos and articles that inspired him and and some of the scenes that he was using for Colleen. Sure. In a January 1st, 1978 edition of Inside News, an underground newspaper, there was... That is really an innocent name. It is. For... I'm upset with that. Because I kept, it kept making me think of Inside Edition. Yeah. And I was yeah. like, that is not nefarious. That's what we call our intranet at work. In, so Inside news? No, just inside. But oh. I'm upset now. Now you want to be outside. Yeah. <laughs> you, you, I'm, I'm really upset. Because I'm going to look at that tomorrow and... Be sad. I'm going to be back here. So in this, in this uh, insidious news paper, there was an article about a slavery contract, and Cameron was immediately all over this. What a perfect idea for his own slave. Cameron tried to duplicate this contract from the newspaper, but he failed. So he went and bought a typewriter for Janice to type it up in duplicate. Cameron, as master in the document, would be known as Michael Powers. The witness to the contract's execution would be Janice. Oh, of course. But she would go by Janet Powers. Well, yeah. Cameron copied calligraphy from the magazine at the top and put a seal at the bottom. Had to make it super official. I hope he used gold foil. Mm-hmm. On January 25th, 1978, Cameron interrupted Colleen in the workshop and confronted her with the document. It was the first time since May that she had seen his face, and he had already kept her for eight months at this point. Oh, God. Cameron sat Colleen down to educate her on this contract, and he wanted to tell her about something called, quote, the company. 
He gave her an article about the slavery contracts and he explained that there was a ground of underground, uh, no, not a ground, a group of underground slave traders trafficking women who were forced to sign contracts to relinquish control over their lives, their bodies, and their souls. He said the company traded women and was also tasked to hunt down and punish runaway slaves. Cameron explained to Colleen that he was plugged in, that the company knew he had her, and now he had to register her. Janice came down into the basement with the slavery contract, and Colleen was told that unless she signed it, the company would take her away from Cameron and put her into the slave network. Colleen was confused because the slavery contract looked like the type of contract being talked about in the article that Cameron said he was trying to save her from. Mm -hmm. Uh, But, you know, those are details. Details, yeah. Colleen asked what would happen if she didn't sign it, and Cameron said he would sign it for her and then punish her. Cameron explained that Michael Powers was his company name. (laughs) Colleen considered the document and told Cameron he couldn't have her soul because it belonged to God. But she did sign the document feeling that she had no other choice. This is so fucked up. Mm -hmm. And again, Cameron's logic made no sense because he's saying that like he's connected to the company Mm -hmm. and he needs her to be registered with the company in his name to save her from the company and save her from the Mm -hmm. network. But I also assume that this is one of those situations where like the devil you know is better than the devil you don't. Exactly. So you would be like, I know what he's doing to me and I have survived thus far. Like don't know what other people in the company would do. Mm -hmm. I'm proud of her for protecting her soul though because when I heard that I was like, really? we need to take it for her fucking soul too right. are you she kidding said that he couldn't have it so it already belonged to Good god for her. oh so wholesome i i i'm trying to picture this conversation just like rationally negotiating contracts in the workshop i know which how rational can you be after being like deprived no for eight months like yeah. you're just yeah you're long for the ride i'm at this pretty point. sure that contract would be thrown out in a court mm, of law i don't think it would be valid <laughs> if you know I haven't taken contracts in a while, but I want to say I remember a few things from law school. Just to guess. Yeah. That might qualify as under duress. Yes. Yep. A little bit. A little bit. The lies continued. Cameron said the company required she wear a slave collar for identification, which of course Cameron had ready to go. Mm -hmm. He also told her it would cost him $1,500 to register her with the company. But he said now that she was signed up, he could let her do more things around the house for him because he had the company's resources to back him. They would monitor the house and the phone lines. So if she ever tried to run or get away, they would catch her and torture her mercilessly. In a way, it's brilliant. I know. It's awful. I to know. To say the least. But it's it's it a is, little it's bit bra- brilliant. It's brainwashing yeah. for like... Because yeah. that's way more powerful than any lock you can put on a door. Right, exactly. Wow. Exactly. Wow, wow, wow. He told Colleen that runaways had their hands nailed to a beam and Ooh. were hung there for days, Ooh. which is crucifixion. Yes. Uh, to further sell the story, Cameron told Colleen that Janice had been a slave too and that she had run away. She was caught, brought back, and hung up for days. He said her hips and legs were permanently damaged, which was supported by a brace Janice wore on her knee, which was for a completely unrelated knee surgery. Um, His story was elaborate. He said Janice was brought back to the company and worked at a place called Rent-A-Dungeon. Janice was a prostitute wearing a cross, meaning she was marked for death. Men could pay to be with any woman and do whatever he wanted to her at Rent-A-Dungeon. If the guy accidentally killed the woman, he owed a $10,000 fine. This is like if I had a nightmare and I was repeating to you what happened in this nightmare. That's what I I feel like I'm listening to. I'm also pretty sure there's a Liam Neeson movie about this. (laughs) 
<laughs> he has a particular set of skills. Yeah, took the words out of yeah. my mouth. Cameron said that's where he met Janice, and he felt sorry for her, so he bought her and married her to save her life. There's some some root of truth there. Mm. Mm-hmm. Cameron then gave Colleen a slave name, which was just the letter K. And that's what they called her from that day forward. Once the rules had all been firmly established and Colleen understood she was now Cameron's property, she was given more freedoms as promised. She was allowed upstairs at night to cook, clean, do laundry, and any other tasks ordered by Cameron or Janice. In order to ensure that Colleen understood that she was a slave to Cameron's every whim, he came with, came up with what he called attention drills. Whenever he shouted, attention, Colleen had to strip off all her clothes, stand on her tiptoes, and reach her hands up to the top of the arched doorway between the living room and dining room. She had to stand there tensed, naked, except for the slave collar, until he told her she could relax. Oh my god. Cameron also intermittently reminded Colleen about the existence of the company. He even showed Colleen an official laminated registration card showing that Colleen Stan was registered to Michael Powers as his slave. Oh my God. Cameron truly scared the shit out of Colleen talking yeah. about the company. It, How would you know? How like, you I'm wouldn't? Not, I'm not tied into to the no. slave networks. I don't know. Also, I am a hundred percent sure there is shit that exists in I know the entire world yeah. that is unfathomable yes and i don't want to be a part of it no and and this is before obviously the internet so you don't know what's out there and what's right real and what isn't and he's clearly fucked up yeah he's clearly if anyone's going to be part of these networks it's going to be him and he spent his entire life like reading about all this porn and and like i said when you're dealing with consensual people like you guys do you like whatever but like it's fucked up here because it's Mm -hmm. not consensual in any way shape or form no um, she did sign a contract. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Fucked up, Laura. It is. I got it. You know? Yeah. Um, but Cameron would, would continually tell Colleen about these other stories of what happened to other company women so that it made what she was enduring at Cameron's home seem reasonable. And like you said, devil, you know. Yes. Yep. Cameron told her about a woman. The fact that he even just made this up just... Uh, oh, I, no. Cameron told oh, her no. about a woman he said ran away and... He said she wrote an article about the company and her ordeal with the company. He said that Colleen, he he told Colleen the company devised a special punishment for her when they found her. He said first they pulled off her fingers one at a time. Oh my God. Then her toes. A member who was a surgeon was called in to remove her arms and legs without anesthetic. And still alive, she had her tongue cut out and her hearing destroyed. They blinded her with a soldering gun. And finally, they hung her from her braided hair on a hook next to her master's bed. Like this, this is fucking disgusting, but I had to include it because it it will be relevant later on. Like this Ugh. is what Colleen is being told. Yeah, right. Yeah. This oh is what, this is what she would face if she tried right. to run away. Right. And she's told this every Daily, day. Right. Yep. Every day. During her captivity, the Hookers planned to move from Oak Street to Pershing Road, still in Red Bluff, and so Colleen had to be moved in the night. While still on Oak Street, Colleen was left in the workshop for almost 48 hours so that Cameron could alter her coffin box. He had reconstructed it so that it would fit in a frame for a waterbed at the hooker's new home. Oh my God. The waterbed was upholstered in black with the whole frame raised on a wooden pedestal. There was a hole at the base of the bed that served as the entrance for the coffin box. In the dark of the night, Colleen was blindfolded and brought to the hooker's new home. 
Cameron took off Colleen's blindfold and showed her the hole under the bed. He said, this is where you're going to be staying. Mm -hmm. Colleen had to crawl on her hands and knees to get inside the coffin under the bed. And once inside, Cameron placed a board across the opening and bolted it shut. He then covered it with a panel that he'd cut specifically to fit over the board to disguise the opening. Oh, my God. And finally, he pushed some steps against the foot of the bed. And this would be Colleen's home for the next six years, which we will talk about more in the next episode. Oh, my God. Maria. (laughs) I am so... Why do we do these at night? I'm going to have horrible nightmares tonight. Why do I do a true crime crime podcast? I don't know why I'm on this. I don't know. Oh my God. It's unfathomable. Yeah. Oh yeah. And I'm like reading this shit right before I fall asleep at night and I have wonderful dreams. I don't know. I, I, I've heard there's something wrong oh with me. Oh my God. Mm-hmm. I, this is so much worse than I was ready for. It's really fucked up. Is it going to get even worse? Um, or is it just going to continue on this trajectory? It gets different. Okay. Maybe not worse, but different. Yeah. All right. I'll take... And I, I don't know if I, I want I included but... all of the details because it's very important. They're very important to me, yeah. I think, in the overall tale. Yeah. So, mm-hmm. yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I did. So, uh, if you're enjoying listening to Grimm, which Laura is not, <laughs> no. please rate and follow us wherever you listen to podcasts to make sure you don't miss any episodes. If you listen to us on Apple Pod... Pa- if you listen to <laughs> us on... <laughs> if you listen to us on Apple Podcasts, make our day by leaving us a written review. We got a couple new ones recently. We Love honestly, them. we just screenshot them. Apparently, they do nothing for our metrics or like care. how we're seen. They and do I don't something care. for these yes. metrics. Yes. I'm pointing at my heart. She's rubbing her heart. Yeah. Yes. Um, you can find our page on Facebook by searching Grim colon a true crime podcast. If you want to subscribe to our Patreon, you can go to Patreon and search Grim colon a true crime podcast. You can get a shout out. And we also have a bunch of P-bonies on there. Follow us on Instagram at Grim Crime. Wow. I'm having a real hard time. Don't follow whatever she just said. (laughs) On Instagram at Grim Crime Podcast for information on future episodes and case photos. If you want to send us a case suggestion or just say hi, you can email us at grimcrimepodcast at (laughs) gmail.com. Listen, learn, and stay alive until next time because the future is grim. (laughs) 